Hey, Isaac here. And me. Yeah, that's John from, uh, well, you clicked on the show. And we are wanting to hear from you, the listener. We got an email. That we do. And we want to hear from you. Yes, you. Have you ever been abducted by UFOs on a Kentucky back road? Stare at a t-shirt wearing Bigfoot in the eyes? Or shoot the Willopus Wallopus in the face? We want to hear about it. Let's confabulate on your theories. So email us at rumorsconfab at gmail.com to get your input in the show. And y'all check out that Instagram thing. Yeah, that too. And again, that is rumorsconfab at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Peace. Also, that's pretty good. Yeah, that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I'm the red paper flake on the back of my tongue. God. So we'll put with that eating spicy food. It'll come back and get you about. Oh, fuck. <clears throat> All right. Welcome back, boys. I have a question right off the top. Have either of you ever been to the beautiful Lexington, Kentucky Cemetery? No. No, no there was a specific just Lexington, Kentucky Cemetery. So no. Seriously? I'm- yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> really? So neither of you guys go to cemeteries? You guys aren't cemetery hanger outers? No, Not my usual hangout spot. No. Well, I mean, I like cemeteries. By the way, Isaac talking, it's rumors of confabulation. You know the show. Got John over there and special guest, special day, Jake. Hello. In the house. So... The reason I'm asking about cemeteries and Lexington Cemetery in particular, which, by the way, the Lexington Cemetery is actually a really pretty cemetery, it is. Have you ever been to McConnell Springs? I don't think I have. No. It's really pretty. It's uh, it's a little area. It's right by. It's near the Distillery District of Lexington, Kentucky. Which oh, that's pretty close in town then. Yeah, it's it's right in the heart of the city. Honestly, the cemetery. It's like right in Smashville. Not named after Turtle Man, is it? (laughs) <laughs> what? Not 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 the turtle man from our episode. The oh. turtle man that's in Washington. <laughs> okay, I thought you were talking about <laughs> hashtag live action. Yee yee yee, turtle man. Oh, no. okay. I'm talking no. about Moscow Mitch or whatever Mitch they call him. <laughs> Moscow <laughs> No, um, it's actually McConnell Springs is a really pretty little um, natural spring, um, and they they. Situated like a couple little trails right in the heart of the city uh, that they've kept kind of protected uh, with some of the wildlife and trees and everything. Um, But it's uh, named after the first uh, settlers of Lexington, which was a guy by the name of McConnell. What's his last name? They set up a little cabin or a little uh, tent site right at McConnell Springs at the Natural Spring. And then the city kind of grew out from that. So that's why it's in the heart of the city. Okay, so having said all of this, just for some, we're going to be visiting Lexington, Kentucky for this episode. This is the setting of the episode, is Lexington. Sounds good. So this is the place that we're all at least vaguely familiar of. I mean, we've all been there plenty of times, three of us, if not live there. <laughs> but now I'm going to, so you know modern Lexington. Let's transport ourselves to 1833. Lexington. 1833 Lexington. 
How big of a city do you guys think Lexington is in 1833? 33,000 people. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jake? I'd say maybe about 10,000 at most. Okay. Jake, you are the closest. Uh, in 1833, Lexington has 7,000 people. Really? Huh. Yeah. It's a lot smaller than I was expecting. Uh, Lexington, though, in 1833 was a growing, quote, Athens of the West, which I'm pretty sure that Nashville, Tennessee is also called. So one of them needs to give it up um, <laughs> and give it to the other, which I think Nashville probably won that because not only is it a much bigger city, but it does have a life-size exact replica of the Parthenon in the city. Yeah, I was going to say, that kind of clenches it. (laughs) (laughs) Nashville kind of stole it. But as I said, it's a population of 7,000 people in the city at this time. The city, though, is very wealthy. So we're talking about a very... Lexington began kind of... And it reflects in modern-day Lexington. It's an old money city. It just really is. It started from wealth. Has it always been a horse city even back then? Back then, not so much. Back then, it was much more of a... They were a farming city, and um, so a lot of plantations were around. Basically, mm-hmm. the horse farms that we have now started off as plantations, most of them, which comes with all the negative connotations. You exactly. <laughs> yeah. At this time, with this wealth, the city was primarily known for farming of tobacco and hemp. Hemp, specifically, they were making hemp for ropes. So they had a lot of hemp factories, which were also uh, called rope walks at the time. (laughs) Rope walks? Rope walks. Yeah, I'm not sure why that's... But it was... That's what hemp factories were called back then. A poem from the time period reads... Again, just to kind of set the scene of pretty, beautiful Lexington. Quote... But Lexington will ever be the loveliest and the best, a paradise thou'lt still to me, sweet Athens of the West. So I think that's how I got the Athens of the West, you know, thing. Oh, okay. Somebody wrote a poem about it. Now, truly, Lexington, Kentucky was a city on the rise in 1833. You got to think this is also still the time frame that Henry Clay is going. You know, he just lost another presidential bid. <laughs> <laughs> this time it's a it is a growing city that is until cholera came to town we're going to talk about the great cholera epidemic of 1833 in lexington kentucky this will be the first then yeah. jake are you strapped in i'm all kinds of strapped in <laughs> <laughs> you say he was always strapped in <laughs> So you sounded very serious, like a, a little too serious. It's <laughs> so June of eighteen thirty-three saw cholera. Which do you guys know what cholera is exactly? One of those I've things. Forgot me. Yeah, it's yeah. So you you're not familiar, Jake? I've forgotten. It's not something uh, I've uh, dedicated it's not to memory. You think about no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, you're right. It's uh, one of those things where you poop yourself constantly. Um, it's a diarrhea-inducing acute, acute, that's a big part of this illness, that is caused by infection of the intestines. So the acute part is very important because it comes on very fast. Uh, it's not something that's going to really linger with you, but when it 
comes in, you will lose so much of your body. You will be violently diarrheaing yourself to literal death. So basically just instant dehydration. Yes, instant dehydration within 24 hours. People will wake up fine and they'll be dead. Yeah. They wake up fine and they don't go to bed. There you go. <laughs> So, in Lexington, cholera began spreading like wildfire in June of 1833, particularly around, and I'm not sure if you guys are very familiar with streets in Lexington, but it's particularly around Limestone and Main Street, North Limestone, Main Street, kind of close to where, like, Transylvania Mm -hmm. University is. Yeah, kind of close to there, that area. And actually where the cemetery and McCall Springs and all that is too. And the distillery district, which remember, yeah, it's the distillery district is, I think, pretty important because this, it, now it's like distillery district, all cool and stuff because we always turn the worst parts of a town into the trendy parts of town. It's just slow now. gentrification over time. <laughs> so at this point in time, that's your factory district where all these rope walks are. And so, and also, um, there's just a lot of, it's again a farming, so there's a lot of cattle, it's a lot of slaughterhouses and stuff like that around this time. So, what happened, and I saw a few different explanations to how cholera kind of spread, in particular in this like region of Lexington, and then kind of spread out from there. Uh, cholera itself is spread through uh, infected water. It was originated in Asia. Calm down, everyone. Let's not get into. You know, we're calm. <laughs> yeah, we're good. <laughs> it spread through trade routes is how it got here. Mm. And Lexington was getting then at this time, they were getting a lot of trade uh, that would be from the Ohio and then into the Kentucky rivers into Lexington. So that's how it got here. How then it became kind of a, this part of Lexington became like a breeding ground for it was uh, a lot of like awful that was spread in like, um, the standing water. So like, you know, awful, you know, like awful as an O F F A. Yes. Yes. So like, uh, intestines and things like that from animals. Okay. So at slaughterhouses, they would dump their awful instead of having like a better contained place for it. They were dumping it. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was just a big kind of almost like a landfill, but for just like awful and, uh, just the viscera. (laughs) I hate to make the joke, but that sounds awful. <laughs> hey, yes. No, but that really just does sound like you're just talking like that. I mean, dumps are already gross, but if it's just bio-organic material, you're just kind of like... Ugh. Yeah, and you can imagine how like wet and sticky and stuff it is, too. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing we hear from Jake after how long is when I decide to make sound effects for the awful pile outside of Lexington, Kentucky. It's just back then they didn't know about that's how that sort of thing would spread. Oh yeah, they had no idea how it was being spread. There was a lot of different theories, and it actually I will say they did hone in on it being water spread by the water pretty quickly, but they weren't sure, like, how it got into the water. So they knew, and by 1833, and this is also the, what, like, official people, like, scientists and health officials of the the time, what they knew about it, what the actual citizenry knew about cholera is a very different matter. 
you know, so they, but I will say at this time, there were newspaper headlines that were saying like cholera is in Lexington, watch out and stuff like that. But people were kind of dismissing it at first. Mm-hmm. Not only though, was there the awful area, the trading was also just kind of like moving it because cholera at this time hit like Northern Kentucky and then down to central Kentucky and Lexington and also hit like Ohio. So there's clearly, there's a clear like trend of where it was happening uh, and being spread. But either way, however it got really spread, because I also saw wells, like an infected well could, that in of itself could hit like hundreds of people because everybody that drinks that, if that one well gets infected with cholera water. Also, Kentucky, especially that part of Kentucky, it's all karst in terms of like the groundwater and stuff. So it's karst like lets stuff spread easier just the way it is. That's why we have so many caves over here. Like the ground's okay. much more porous. Expand on that karst word. It's uh, like lime, it's limestone topography, I guess is what you could say. But you know how like we have all these rolling hills and stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because we have, a, it's the, well, it's also part of the reason that they grow horses here. It's because the water runs through the rocks. Here I think it's breeding horses. Huh? <laughs> I don't think they grow. I think it's breeding horses. Well, they breed them, and then those little horses grow up to big horses. But but the reason the horses grow strong here is because the karst topography, the water wears the rock down in the groundwater more, and it's limestone, so it's getting more calcium in the water. Mm, that's also why so 1 is so good. Well, I thought they always just called that Kentucky River water, but... Well. The Kentucky River water good. But but you see what I'm saying? <laughs> the groundwater flows around here a little bit better. Yeah. So that, and that means that's spreading. Yeah. I actually saw an article about this that talked about the, the topography of Lexington, where it is, it's fairly flat, like Lexington, because it's up on a plateau, mm-hmm. but it is slightly sloping. But the problem with that is that there's enough little patches, especially on the north end of town, that are just like flat. So you had a lot more standing water there at those places. And something that made 1833 summer in Lexington a little more outstanding than other summers is that it was a very hot and humid summer. Mm. It's very, like, strangely so. Also, you're talking about it being on a plateau. It's one of the few major cities of its size that is not built on a river. Yeah, and that was very noted in when you're talking about Lexington at this time. It's very much like it's the biggest city that's not on a harbor, at, which you know, is in, in the time when transporting large amounts of stuff was done by river. Right. That's just saying it's basically a road drain down. So yeah. So Jake, you're 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 with us so far. Yeah, I'm just just listening. <laughs> I'd wait to chime in. I know. I'm just making sure that you're following, like. You've got this. You got the stage is set. I'm just making sure that I've done a you know proper job here. Oh, you've done a good job. Okay, thank you. I'm just looking for validation. That's all. Um, so <laughs> things um, things are not looking good for Lexington as cholera really just settled in to the city. But that didn't stop one man in Lexington. William Solomon was a vagrant. Born in Virginia in 1775 or 77, I saw differing things. The same exact time frame that Henry Clay was born and in the same county that Henry Clay was born. So they're both born in Virginia, both two little guys growing up in Virginia. They are their play buddies in Virginia, William Solomon and Henry Clay, who William Solomon would refer to as Harry Clay because that's his little boyhood nickname. I don't like that name. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
While Solomon may have been boyhood friends with Harry, their lives took very different paths, even though they both eventually wound up in Lexington, Kentucky. Because for very short background info, Henry Clay is basically the reason that Lexington, Kentucky is on the map. Henry Clay being the one of the most influential politicians of the entire 1800s in the U.S. And yeah, we won't get into that. I've gone into Henry Clay enough on this podcast. That'll be your oh. next deep, deep, deep dive, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That, that would take an entire like, podcast on himself. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot. While Clay went on to become what he became, Solomon became a ditch and well digger. Solomon, very described as a very large, broad-shouldered man, over six feet tall, which in those days is huge, with reddish hair and blue eyes, was not adverse to hard work. And he took odd jobs such as carpentry and, uh, again, ditch digging, well digging, things like of that sort. And he regular he quickly became a um, regular handyman around the city. So his reputation at this time actually was very um, on as being an honest and kind man, big but honest, kind. Uh, and he would he was just a good handyman, you know, around around the city. Uh, he even regularly helped a freed enslaved woman, uh, whose name, probably a little racistly, uh, is always quoted as being Aunt Charlotte. I don't know why they always put on aunt and uncle, the old timey. I, I don't understand that There's one. There's probably some kind of weird family connotation with this to show how close they actually were, but yeah. they still didn't, re- yeah, we don't but need to get they're still it. enslaved yeah. and, yeah, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so he would regularly help her though. And, um, Charlotte, she sold baked goods, made pies. She also sold fruit from her home, which sat along uh, a busy Creek, which is called town branch. Uh Yeah. This is town branch bourbon today. And, uh, the two actually had known each other while they were in Virginia. So there's uh, some theories on, um, that some people think that she was had been enslaved by his family, uh, and that's how he knew her as a boy. But I don't actually think that's the truth. I think that they just happened to know each other in Virginia somehow, and uh, they knew each other. Yeah, I, I because the, I don't think that the um, the main thing, the main reason I don't think it, that's the reason that they know each other is because. She inherited the house that she had on Town Branch. She inherited that house by the family that had, you know, quote unquote, owned her after they they had no heirs or successors, and just she was the only one left to inherit something. And instead of they actually, I will at least they gave her did her a solid there. At least when they that old fart died, he gave her freedom in a house. Mm-hmm. So at least there's that. But um, so I don't, and so. I feel like William Solomon would have inherited all that if it was his family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Either way, they knew each other. He helped. They had a nice little, they were like the odd couple, you know, going around. She was making pies. He was ditch digging. And they were both well-liked in the community. The only problem, though, with William Solomon is that he was a notorious drunk. Notorious, you say? notorious drunk and john i really feel like there's a chance that you might really be able to i feel like you're going to really like william solomon I was gonna say, i'm wondering why you made direct eye contact with me at that point but yeah <laughs> i just think that you're gonna really like him as a character 
Now let's get into it, then. As the story goes, Solomon was married for two years when his wife passed, and the cause um, for her passing is uncertain. They did have a son, but as again, as the story goes, his son eventually deserted his father and ran from home, which left poor William all alone with nothing but the sweet, sweet whiskey to keep him company. There you go. According to city records, William Solomon resided at a house on South Upper Street from 1818 to 1830. So he lived there for a good while. It was here that apparently his drunkenness just grew. So after his wife passed, then he started to drink, you know, dabble, let's say. <laughs> then dabble his. Just <laughs> started to dribble. <laughs> this is when he dribbled. So then his son left. And the the dribble became a, a fountain. Flow. A flow. And whiskey was his drink of choice. He was a whiskey man. I actually saw some things that said that he would completely eschew water and would just sustain himself on whiskey. I feel like that has something going to lead into the story here later. Yeah, I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> like, I really don't know. I guess maybe his whiskey was watered enough because it's the cheapest whiskey he could get. That, or I was going to say, or or he just got water and then always poured whiskey in it. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't think so. I think he just was like, give me the whiskey. Either way, he sold his house in 1830 at the height of his drunkenness. Uh, his house sold to a man named Robert Gray. This was most likely, most agreed to pay off some sort of debt. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like his house got foreclosed. You know, he, he got, he was bankrupt. Yeah. And he's officially homeless. By 1833, when cholera came around, William Solomon only had the tattered clothes on his back. His appearance was described as him wearing, quote, the same old dusty hat and the same baggy pants. His face was round and as wrinkled as his clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, his amiable nature, now turned to drink, was not off-putting. People still liked him, but it was just also obvious that he only cared about getting drunk. He was a jolly drunk then. He was a jolly drunk. He is the best version of the town drunk. Just a big fun man that gets drunk a lot and just will dig a well. (laughs) It it takes all stripes. (laughs) I also should mention about his personality too is that he was into politics. He always had a love for Henry Clay. He kept this like, we were friends as kids. He would always say that when he's drunk, he's like, yeah, we, I knew old Harry. I knew him well. So when Henry Clay, you know, kind of organized the Whig Party to go against Andrew Jackson, William Solomon was there to be their biggest supporter. He always voted Whig. There's actually a story about Solomon that was a uh, Democrat. Uh, He was running for state legislature, I believe. He approached William Solomon and was like, hey, buddy. I'll buy your next round of drinks uh, if you'll just kind of have a, a, you know, just sit with me and just uh, talk to you a bit and we'll just have a, you know, round of drinks just on me. And so he gets some drinks and, he goes, and then he asked him, have you voted yet? Because it was voting day or election day. And he said, no, I haven't voted yet. And he said, well, I haven't either. So how about we both go and vote? So he takes them, they go both go and vote. And then the guy ends up losing and he asks to a wig and he asks William Solomon, like, who did you vote for? And he said, well, the Whig, of course. <laughs> and the Democrat guy was like, well, why? I bought you drinks. Like, I was nice. Why'd you buy? And he's like, 
he said something along the lines of like, you might be able to buy me a drink, but you can't buy my vote. <laughs> That's how that Tuesday oh law came into effect. <laughs> uh, which I love. He is his own man, William Solomon. Mm. Principled. That's a, a principled man. A drunk he may be, but a principled drunk. Now, being the town drunk, though, and going to be a likable town drunk, though, he was given the nickname, which I guess, let me tell the story uh, that I heard recently, though, about his nickname. He Apparently he was um, cutting down a tree for someone, or cutting off limbs for a tree, of a tree for someone, and he decided, he got drunk, he, he decided, well, it's time for a break, and I, I'm going to, you know, he's had a big old drink instead of water, drank whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> when, he needed, when he got thirsty. <laughs> so he got sloshed and then climbed the tree and decided to cut the branch while on the branch. All right. So he so cut it. A He's, he cut it where he was just on the branch and cut it behind him. So, like, he just fell when he cut the branch. And at this time, as he's up there, people are like, watching. He grew a crowd of people who were all just standing there watching him like, wow, he's an idiot. And he fell. And then someone said, well, only the wisdom of King Solomon himself would grant him the idea to do this. What? And, you know, King Solomon regarded as the wisest man ever to live. So his sarcastic honorary nickname became King Solomon. And that's how everyone knew him, was King Solomon. Nice. And I think it's at that point that he really cemented his legacy as the official town drunk. He kind of almost became a mascot at this point. You know, King Solomon. Oh, there goes King Solomon. After getting in trouble with the law one too many times uh, for public intoxication. And I want to be clear. I don't think that he ever did anything to get himself in trouble aside from being drunk and not having a home, which apparently was a lawful offense in Lexington at this time. I said still like that nowadays. Yeah, Lexington's a very anti-homeless city. Yeah. Well, I mean, anytime, any anytime like they have like dignitaries coming in for all this horse stuff at Keeneland and stuff, like the LPD will go around and like hand people vouchers for hotels just to give them, get them off the street, so they're like, "Oh, get out! We don't, we don't want to see you." Yeah, and it's just like, well, "Why can't you do that any other time of the year?" I remember know. when uh, Lexington had a panhandler problem? You know, people out and they put up all the mines around. Oh my gosh! And yeah. they had cops come and just round them up. Yeah, oh, really good. But yeah, so after getting in trouble with the law a few too many times on Thursday, June sixth, eighteen thirty three. Sheriff Thomas Brown had finally had enough of King Solomon and everyone's fun with King Solomon. And he decided to make an example of him. So Sheriff Thomas Brown brought King Solomon into court where the judge sentenced Solomon to become someone's indentured servant. So Solomon at this point, and they decided to do it right then and there in court, Solomon was literally up for bid. Uh, it was an auction on, on his services. Oh my god. And at this moment, King Solomon became a total laughing stock. This was like, the court was filled with people. Everyone was just laughing at him. 
And, you know, it's like the equivalent of like throwing tomatoes. You know, they were just mm. hammering on this poor guy. He just sat there. He didn't care. Solomon was, he was already drunk. He was, you know, he was still drunk. He was just like, whatever, guys. He was just in about it. He's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, really. And uh, even uh, Sheriff Brown started mocking him for his homelessness, his love for whiskey, and his weak politics because he was a Democrat. By the way, Democrats at the time were the slave owners. I just want to throw that out there. Correct me if my, I'm wrong, but the Whig were basically like the more, I wouldn't say left, but they're, they're, they're the less conservative of the time. They were, yes. At the time, the Whig party kind of became the Republican Party, which was the party of Lincoln mm-hmm. at that time. And then things have since very much switched. Basically from but, the 70s to the 70s of London. Yeah, at this time, the Democrats are the, they're the ones who are, I mean, they're the Andrew Jackson party. They're the party that's uh, holding on to slavery so hard, too. Mm-hmm. They're the, and the Whigs uh, were trying to do away with slavery, but not as abolitionist as many would want. But a hemp factory owner, a rope walk owner, sorry, he went up to Solomon, felt of his muscles, and said, I'll offer a dollar for the man. Met with mostly silence till finally two medical students looked at him and thought, well, he looks like he's close to death, so let's offer up a dollar fifty for his body. <laughs> <laughs> One description of how Solomon reacted to this, and I do have to go ahead and clarify uh, in this description that it is wrong, um, but it's a historically inaccurate description, but I'll get there. He was described as, quote, ill-kempt and clad in blue jeans. There's the error. And a white cotton shirt. Surveyed the, he surveyed the crowd calmly whilst shifting the stump of a cigar in his mouth. When the cigar burned out during the long process of bidding, he immediately produced another, lighted it, and again returned his disinterest to his own auction. Yeah, blue jeans weren't invented until like the 1870s. So. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to. <laughs> but uh, the rest of the description, I really like yeah. uh, him just sitting there with a cigar in his mouth and just like not. He's going to buy me. Yeah. Finally, after it really kind of came down to the factory owner and the medical students, mm-hmm. they kept going back and forth. At the last hour, the highest bid came through at $13. Mm. It was none other than, quote unquote, Aunt Charlotte. So in 1833, a freed black woman bought a white man in Lexington, Kentucky. Yep. I'm sure that probably made headlines. For everything. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have made the headlines. <laughs> Except it just shows you the backwards and stuff. They just call him an indentured servant, servant instead. Right. He's just an indentured servant. Yeah. So once she uh, got him out of the court, she looked at him and said, You're free. You, you don't have to do anything for me. I just, you know, did this to get them off your back and to make sure you don't end up in, you know, having to actually be enslaved. So she uh, did offer him lodging in her house. And like I said, he had already been helping her out a lot, you know, as like a handyman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, you know, wanted to help her and stuff. But then he's like, okay, as he's working, he's like, well, you know what would be really nice? Whiskey. So he goes and gets himself a drink somehow. I don't know how. He gets himself so drunk that he passed out Thursday night, the same night of his court hearing and all of this, passed out, didn't wake up till Saturday. Wow. Well, if I've ever had that last over that 
That's a, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a long sleep. Or she said he's a big fella, so he probably could have dropped down a couple gallons of stuff and not even noticed it. But that tells you how much did he actually drink that day. Yeah. <laughs> when Solomon awoke on Saturday morning, he woke up to a completely different world. When he walked out of the home of Charlotte, there he was met with literal dead bodies on the streets. Because within that moment, the biggest surge of cholera hit Lexington within that just that day. While he was and asleep. Like while he was asleep. Wow. And like I said, the illness is so acute that it came on from people that were literally at the court hearing were already dead by this time. So, Charlotte came up to him and said, you know, kind of filled him in on what's happening. <laughs> she already had a wagon filled up, ready to get out of Lexington. Most everyone that had a wagon or some means of escape took advantage. Yeah. The whole city was emptying out completely. A, another freed black man named uh, Harry Sykes, who gave uh, Solomon some free shaves on occasion, uh, he was found that dead that morning from cholera. And that's how Charlotte kind of knew exactly what's going on. Was well, Solomon found when he walked the streets? Because, okay, let me back up here. Because Solomon, he decided, he told Charlotte that he is not leaving, period. He said, I've got, I, I'm not going. Lexington's my home. I'm not abandoning the city. <laughs> dead bodies everywhere. It's like, I ain't leaving. A, a town drunk. <laughs> How much uh, do you want to travel if you're that hungover? <laughs> That's all it boils down to. <laughs> I mean, does a wagon ride sound fine if your head's pounding, sitting there bouncing around? There? It sounds better than pooping yourself to death. Yeah. Depends on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> what do you think? Do you, do you think what sounds best to you, Jake? <laughs> I don't know if that's a pretty bad hangover of my time. <laughs> Well, he's made the, the, the call. I guess he agrees. He made the call. I'm not going to do that. Charlotte was pleading with him to go. But then finally, when she realized that he is just not budging, she said, I will stay with you in Lexington. And she gave her wagon to another family that needed to get out that didn't have a wagon. She's a great woman. <laughs> I just got to say, Charlotte is a great person. What a good person. So Solomon decides he's just kind of you know in a drunken hungover groggy you know moment again he's not drinking water mm -hmm. <laughs> he's walking the streets of lexington in this haze just seeing dead bodies what he realizes though as he's walking around is that there the obvious there are dead bodies on these streets and no one's doing anything about it mm -hmm. because everyone's left all the people that aren't sick are gone so, and, or they're taking care of someone that is sick. So he saw a need. He became a grave digger. William Solomon began collecting all the bodies that were on the street and began digging graves for each and every one of them. He would work in the dead of night because it was such a hot summer. Mm. He would work at night and then he would sleep in one of his graves. No. Honestly, no, no, honestly, it's probably a smart idea. This, that far underground would be a little bit cooler. It was the coolest place. Yep. So that's what he would do. He um, would just uh, would drink whiskey to fuel himself throughout all of this process, and he would uh, bury literally hundreds of people. 
It was honestly amazing what he accomplished. He never received any pay for any of this. He never asked for any pay. He just started doing it himself. He just grabbed a wagon and started throwing bodies, putting them in there in a, in a good burial. He buried most people in the Episcopal uh, Church burial ground, which is, uh, I can't remember exactly what part of Lexington is. It's, it's near that part of Lexington, but the, it's the poorer yeah. town. Because, yeah, I mean, it is by far affecting poor people. So I think that's another thing for him why he took this on is because he was actually seeing pe- people that he actually liked. Yeah, people he spent people that, all the time with. Yeah. yeah, people that actually took care of him, people that he knew were like good, mm-hmm. like his friend, that, the barber that would give him free shaves. You know, like people like that are the ones that are laying there dead or just in it. You know, I mean, it's cholera. Yeah. You know, honestly, this is like the most, I, I never knew that Lexington looked like the plague gets swept through at any point in time. It's pretty shocking to think about. Now, during this time, Charlotte would support him, feed him, do all that stuff. He also did have some help every so often from a local black minister um, named London, I believe his name was. And then also, most notably and strangely and so bizarrely, he had help from the eventual president of the Confederacy. Jefferson Davis. Wait, what? Jefferson Davis helped William Solomon dig graves in the 1833 cholera epidemic of Lexington, Kentucky. Do we have, like, backup on this, or is this just, like, still? This, it seems to be true. I saw several sources say this happened. I guess he had to atone himself after the eggnog riots back at West Point. Jake, do you know anything or much about Jefferson Davis? Very little. Um, he does I, have a monument, unfortunately. I thought that got tore down a couple of years ago. No, it, well, his uh, he may have had like a monument or something that was in the Kentucky State, like Rotunda. I think that got removed. But he has like this huge like obelisk that's like looks like the Washington Monument that just sticks up out of a field uh, out towards like Hopkinsville. I did not know about that at all. Yeah. It's really (laughs) weird. I was just driving, man. I was just driving through on the way back from a camping trip and uh, looked up and saw this huge obelisk. I was like, what is that? That's awesome. Correct me if I'm wrong. I saw the size of Jefferson Davis. I was like, oh, God. It's made out of white stone. Am I I wrong? So it just looks like it's like the evil eye of Sauron. No, I'm pretty sure it's the same as um, the Washington Monument. I think it's a gray. Okay, I thought the Washington Monument was like a white, like a. I think it's a gray. Thing. I think it might it might be darker. It's more like I guess it actually honestly looks more like the Bunker Hill Monument. Oh, okay, that's what I, that's awesome. what I was thinking. I was gonna. Yeah. But I, it was kind of partially raining when I drove past it, but yeah. Yeah, it it is darker, but it is just like you're driving and you look up through the trees and you're like, what's that? That looks exciting, and then you find out, oh, it's 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 the Confederacy come back to haunt us still. Hmm. Okay, great. Uh, I guess there's. I remember actually we talked about. Um, I don't know, Jake, if you ever heard these this, these episodes, but we did the Richard Mentor Johnson episodes, um, Vice President from Kentucky, and we talked briefly about Jefferson Davis towards the end because one of Richard Johnson's 
sons, I think it was, became the shadow governor of Kentucky in case the Confederacy won. He was going to become the governor of Kentucky because Kentucky sided with the, they went middle ground, but they were more so Union, except for Western Kentucky. But um, yeah, I remember Dalton at that time was like, I wonder if we could uh, do an episode that is like a trying to be subjective view at Jefferson Davis. And I think this is the only story that I could find that's like, maybe there's something redeeming about him. Well, I mean, yeah. nobody's ever like wholly good or wholly evil. Everybody's I mean, got little parts of them that's good. I mean, I guess I, Davis's redeeming quality was he helped dig graves with a, a drunken man. And a black guy. See, that's the thing. And a black man. That's what's so odd. That's what's so... And, and Solomon supported... That's what's just so crazy about it, is that a lot of people they were burying were, were either just poor or freed slaves or, or both. You know, it's just very interesting that Jefferson Davis would do this humanitarian purpose, but, but if not. you think about it, this is also 30 years prior to the actual Civil War. Yeah. And 30 years is a long time to have your head changed about stuff. So, yeah, he might have been whatever back in the day. And then, yeah, so. That's true. But we do, in a future reference or episode, need to cover the eggnog riots at West Point. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But getting back to William Solomon himself, once the epidemic, which he never got cholera, by the way. I wonder why. Because he wasn't drinking water. He's just drinking whiskey. So actually, and I will say too, Charlotte survived the epidemic as well, which was very nice. That was a she was probably day. just boiling her water like a smart woman. Most likely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once the epidemic starts to subside and more people start to trickle back into the city, the it, the news of what William Solomon was doing spread throughout the city, and they decided to have a retrial for William Solomon. Mm-hmm. During this trial, he received a standing ovation, and the judge at once had sentenced him to be an indentured servant, instead got off the podium and gave him a handshake, as William Solomon personally buried that man's wife and daughter for no pay. Did Charlotte get her $13 back? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Went to the whiskey fund. That would be awesome. I, they really should have just had given him like state sponsored whiskey. Yeah, you know, like I don't mean if you think about it, but no, yeah. <laughs> Solomon became a hero. The man who was once a laughing stock, the town drunk, became the literal hero of the cholera epidemic of eighteen thirty three. And to start to wrap this up, in the end the cholera epidemic of 1833 killed an estimated 500 people out of these 7,000 people that lived in Lexington. So I know that number in today's society wouldn't even be blinked at, but at that point in time, you got to think 7,000 people and 500 out of 7,000 is a pretty good I was going to say, if you're talking about percentages, yeah. And then also how many of those 7,000 people just got out of the city. Yeah. And most of the city abandoned. So. Those that's a substantial amount of people, and that's only within like a two month span to those five hundred from like June to August. That's that's, that's almost eight percent of the people. So that's that's a lot. Yeah, and especially in certain because it was mostly in certain pockets, you know, of the city. So well, like it's like pockets, you said, if if it was heavy. the it was the poor districts that got hit, there exactly. goes your labor force. Yeah, and then yeah. everything else starts to crumble, mm-hmm. and it happened mostly around the factories too. Mm-hmm. 
One of the people that died, though, I actually have mentioned before on the podcast and actually just briefly mentioned the Richard Johnson uh, episode, his um, common law mistress wife, Julia Chin, his enslaved uh, mistress, she passed away during this epidemic from cholera. And, I remember you mentioning that in that episode. Yep. Yeah. And as I said, William Solomon never got cholera in 1833. William Solomon, however, did get cholera in 1854, which finally bit him. 20 years later, William Solomon passed away from cholera. It's probably the first glass of water he had in 40 years, and that's what did him in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think he's got for as much as, much as he was a drunk, that's a good run. It's a great run. He lived, yeah, from eight from seventeen seventy five or seventy seven till eighteen fifty four, and he's he's been drunk for at least I mean at least he was almost forty years. years. That's a long time for back then. So, yeah. yeah, that's for back then. That's just impressive in general yeah. for a town drunk to be alive for that long. That just shows you the value of a good day's work. <laughs> Digging holes, and that Kentucky really does have the best whiskey. I have a good quote here. Reverend William N. M. Pratt resided the funeral, and his diary dated November 23rd, 1854, reads, Preached the funeral today of old King Solomon, William Solomon. 79 years old, he was born in the same year with Henry Clay and had drunk whiskey enough to float a man of war. He died at the poorhouse. <laughs> he died at the poorhouse, which was then at Mill and Boulevard Streets, the old steam mill, close to the only house or lot Solomon ever owned. Just for a little factoid there. He was once a person of considerable enterprise and business, but he had given to the drink a great many years and yet was inoffensive and of great integrity. He was a staunch Whig and his vote, even when most intoxicated, could not be bribed at any price. He voted his principles in spite of it all. <laughs> King Solomon is buried in the Lexington Cemetery just four years. He died just four years after his good pal, Harry Clay, who died in 1850, who is buried in the exact same place. Henry Clay has the biggest monument in Lexington Cemetery. It's a big obelisk that has a statue of Henry Clay at the top. King Solomon, however, resides at the front gate of Lexington Cemetery. When you walk into the gate, the very first grave you will see is a grave that says William King Solomon. And it has a little quote that says, for he has a royal heart. And it has it even too in on his, uh, on his, cause he's got one of those like coffin-esque uh, graves, you know, that's like the shape. Yeah. It's like a big, you know, kind of almost table kind of thing. He has one of those, and on it is also etched Hero of the 1833 Cholera Epidemic. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So you can go and uh, pay your respects to King Solomon anytime you want to. I might have to go do that this week. Uh, it's a beautiful, like I said, it's a beautiful cemetery. So yeah. It makes for a pretty walk. <laughs> and yeah. Make sure to say hi. Maybe maybe pour him a little drink. Pour it out for a principled man. Exactly. For a great hero. Because not only did he clear up a lot of dead people, you know, and just, you know, just as far as 
you know, just on principle, it's you want to have people buried. But he also helped save lives that way because he was cleaning the streets as well. He was literally getting the things that were carrying and keeping the illness around. He was getting that off of the street. So he was, yeah, he saved lives. I'd say that part was incidental. Probably didn't have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> you, you think that he was just drunk and just stumbling around like, I made it. He kept tripping over him, so that's why he kept, he's like, damn it. Dug a hole through it. You trip over another one, dug another hole. But no, that ain't what he's doing. <laughs> I think that King Solomon is really a man that is worth a lot of gratitude and a lot of, uh, Oh, a praise. I'll just say praise. Well, we gave him almost an hour's worth of an episode, so I said yeah. I think King Solomon, to me, is one of the best, most positive, other than the fact that 500 people died, but most positive topics we've ever covered. I like King Solomon. I'm going to go right out and say it. I don't see a single thing wrong with the man. I agree. Good on you, King. Jake? Thanks again for jumping in. Do you, well, before before we go, though, I mean, let's open the floor just a little bit. Any kind of like parting things we want to discuss here? Is there any questions? Any, um, yeah, anything? I like the King of Solomon story. It's uh, kind of curious on what whiskey he drank and what it is nowadays. It's still uh, I would love to know. Was it considered, yeah. was bourbon a thing back then, or is that something that it didn't come around? Like, um, I'm sure it was. It probably just didn't. It wasn't called that until much later. Because, I mean, bourbon is just, yeah, a style of whiskey. It's just the way it's aged and whatnot. And and the specificity. Yeah. The spe- God, fuck it. Specificity. Of what's in the mash. Thank you, Jake. Yes. And and bourbon is typically sweeter of, uh, than most whiskeys. But it still has the smoke of the scotch, though. It's not like an Irish or Canadian rich. Okay, so uh, bourbon, to answer the question of was it... So he most likely was drinking bourbon um, because bourbon was invented in 1789 by Elijah Craig, which you can... Yeah, by that's why there's a bourbon called Elijah Craig that is quite expensive and a little rare to find. Yeah, I've never heard of it until just now. Elijah Craig, yeah. It's one of those, uh, you know, back in the days when I worked at a liquor store, uh, it's one of those that when we got in, we just set up on the front counter because somebody's going to come drift in and be like, you guys got the Elijah Craig? Because these people, they're like hawks. They somehow, they just sniff it out and they know that the shipments are coming. Oh, to I've, every, I've, you know, area. I've been around enough buying liquor stores just to like standing in line and someone walks in, walks past everybody in the counter, ask, and then just walks out and leave when they get a no. And you're just like, what the fuck? Yep. Happens. People are crazy about bourbon in Kentucky. I mean, it really is true, but also Kentucky has more bourbon than anyone else. Like, uh, it's crazy. It's so funny what, like, other countries are like, oh, this is a rare one. It's like Woodford yeah. Reserve, you know, Maker's Mark. <laughs> Make, Maker's isn't it. Woodford's all right. I like Maker's. Uh, I have no real opinion on bourbon. I mean, I, I, prefer, <laughs> I, I, I prefer Irish whiskey, but that's just me, so. Yeah. Very leprechaun of you. Oh, hey. <laughs> Peace and love, y'all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, go email us about if you if you think you know what he drank, or if you just want to give us your bourbon recommendations. Email us. Rumors can Uh And yeah, Jake, it's always a pleasure. I love you, man. I love y'all too. It has been fantastic. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right, guys. Love you, everybody.